Warning, this podcast contains adult language and material that may not be suitable for younger or more sensitive listeners. You have been warned. Welcome back to our devilish diner, Spooky Nation. We are the meatballs in your sister's spaghetti, the ghoul babes. That sounds delicious. It is delicious. <laughs> I love spaghetti. Using some saucy Jackie sauce. Yes. This week, I'm recording from under the covers. I'm Jade. And I'm the sleep paralysis demon at the foot of your bed. I'm Vivian. This is why I'm under the covers. That's why she's under the covers. <laughs> I'm sitting at the foot of her bed waiting for her to get off her phone so I can terrify her. <laughs> So, and then there were two. Um, if you guys have been keeping up with us on social media, you're aware that the show has undergone some drastic changes lately. Um, both Ghoul Babe Lauren and our former human sacrifice and editor Quincy have departed the show to pursue other creative endeavors, and we wish them all the best from the bottom of our black little hearts. This spooky show will continue, and we could not do so without the support of all of you loyal listeners out there. So thank you so very much from Jade and myself. And we will continue to bring you the best that the paranormal, true crime, and the worlds of horror can offer. Thank you for continuing on this journey with us. And we look forward to keeping you terrifyingly entertained for a long time to come. And while last week we delved into true crime, we thought this week we might change up the pace a little bit and return to the realms of creepy fiction and scary stories. So we scoured the interwebs and procured some highly disturbing tales just for your listening pleasure, spooky fam. So sit back, relax, and listen with the lights off. If you dare. If you dare. If you dare. I don't. I don't dare. <laughs> That's why she's under the covers. <laughs> under the covers, lights on. This is how we do. <laughs> so this is called Roommate Troubles, which is credited to Jesse Cosgrove. This actually happened to me a few years back at the University of the Arts in Philadelphia. My sophomore year, I roomed with a girl named Kara. She was a jazz vocalist, but her main interest was opera. We had a small room on the sixth floor of a dormitory called Juniper Hall. The walls were thin, and her late night singing and voice practices would keep me up late. After a month or so of lost sleep, I convinced her to move her late night practices to the music studios in the Miriam Theater building a block away. Around 8 one evening, Kara announced that she would be practicing late for an upcoming recital and probably wouldn't be home until around midnight. Great, I thought, that means I can go to bed early. I was beat. I had a horrible day in acting studio, and I was ready to pass out as soon as I had dinner. She said goodnight and left, coffee and sheet music in hand. I made some grilled cheese and soup, gobbled it down, and immediately began to prepare for bed. By the time I got out of the shower, my eyelids were so heavy I could hardly brush my teeth. I pulled on my PJs and crawled into the top bunk of our bunk bed. I was out as soon as my head hit the pillow. I should take a second to describe the layout of our apartment. When entering the apartment, the bedroom was through a door immediately to the left. Our bathroom was inside the bedroom, just past the bunk beds. Uards is nice in the sense that you don't have to share bathrooms. Anyway, I woke up to the sound of the apartment door closing. I opened my eyes and groggily checked my phone. Midnight on the dot. I rolled back over and closed my eyes. I heard Kara enter the room, stop in front of the bunk bed, checking to see if I'm actually asleep, I thought. She flopped down on the bed below me, which was strange, as she was a stickler for brushing her teeth and washing up before bed. Then again, exams were just around the corner, and we were all exhausted. The mattress below me creaked, and then was silent. I couldn't even hear her breathing. I started to drift off again. I was just on the edge of sleep when I was startled awake again by a noise key in the lock, the door opening, and Kara entering our apartment, humming an opera tune. Suspense and spookiness. And who the fuck is in the bottom bunk? <laughs> who's in my bunk? <laughs> who's, who's in here? I love that instead of typical roommates, like if you wake up and your roommate comes home, I think that you'd be like, oh, hey, you know. Right, Hi. and maybe they chalked it up to the fact that they the person stood there for a second and they're like, oh, they're asleep, so then they yeah. just went to bed. 
they're like, I don't want to wake them up because obviously they're sleeping. So maybe that's why they didn't say like, oh, hey, I'm home or hey, practice was really rough. I think I blew a vocal cord. I don't know like what kind of <laughs> conversations they'd be having. But like, I feel like maybe that's why it was like, oh, they, they stood there for a second checking to see if I'm actually asleep. So they kind of watched them and they were like, oh, well, they're asleep. I'm just going to go right to bed. I meant the um, person laying in the bed. Like, how shady is that to be like, I'm just going to pretend to sleep? Well, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't what, want to talk to this person. Well, that, and it's like, what kind of, like, and I got this, like, weird, like, kind of feeling of, like, a, sh- a note of shade of, like, when the person says, when the narrator says, checking to see if I'm asleep, I assumed. Like, why is that a thing? Like, yeah. why did I hear that in that kind of tone of voice? Like, do you guys have some sort of weird tension, like, between you two? Like, what's going on? Like... That, that just seemed kind of shady. I don't know. Yeah, to me. a little shady. That was, that was good. It was good. It was short. I like yeah. the short ones. So I'll read one next. We'll just kind of take turns. Yeah. So this one's called Seaweed. Oh. And it's credited to September Derla. My grandmother grew up in the slums of Prohibition-era Chicago. Her family lived in a small house near the harbor. And one of her earliest memories was of a particularly hot summer when seeking respite from the heat she and her sister discovered a seldom-used section of boardwalk near an abandoned warehouse. Every night for several weeks, the two girls would make their way down to the docks and sit together on the edge of the pier as the sun went down. My grandmother vividly, and for a time fondly, recalled the feel of the seaweed between her toes as she and her sister dangled their feet into the murky water. It wasn't until years later that she returned to the pier and found out that the warehouse had been demolished. Curious, she made an inquiry with the Department of Planning and Development. Apparently, the warehouse had been owned for a time by the mob, who was using it as a base of operations for a local prostitution racket. It had only been uncovered when an associate began disposing of rival hookers by fitting them with concrete shoes and dumping them into the harbor. Investigating officers had recovered nearly two dozen bodies from the waters of a secluded pier nearby. How had the bodies been discovered? Passing fishermen spotted some of the victim's hair floating near the surface of the water, like seaweed. You put your feet in a dead lady's hair! That's gross! So gross. There's a moment that it was like, I'm sitting on the pier and the seaweed's on my feet. I'm like, that's not going to be seaweed. You're like, it's not going to be seaweed. It's really not. I don't... mm -mm, mm -mm, Like, mm -mm. dead person hair was not expecting. Yeah, that took a turn. That took a swift turn. Hard right turn. (laughs) I mean, seaweed feels creepy enough on its own. Like, Mm -hmm. if you've been in the ocean, which I know you have probably and I have, the minute seaweed brushes your leg, you immediately think shark, jellyfish, kraken, sea monster. I don't know, like... I bolt because it is a creepy feeling against your skin. That like slimy, like feeling like, no, mm -mm, no, that's already a not pleasant feeling to me. So the minute I would have hung my feet off of that pier and felt seaweed, I'd have bolted. Yeah. I'd have been gone because that's not, it feels gross. It's gross. And it wasn't seaweed. It was dead bitch hair. (laughs) Which, and if it felt like seaweed, that means that it had like algae all over it. Right. That means it had been there for a while and like the body was, nope, nope. No. Bloated and nice and rotted. Rotted dead hooker hair. Oh, yeah, no. Rotted dead hooker hair. You heard it here first. Words that you never thought we would say on this podcast. Rotted dead hooker hair. Which actually sounds like a Cards of Humanity card. <laughs> Cards Against does. Humanity. Like, sounds like one of the white cards in that game. Cards Against This Spooky Show. Yes. We'll add that Please make there. that a game. Please make a Cards Against Spook- This Spooky Show game. Yes. With our quotes on it. Sister Spaghetti. Rotted dead hooker hair. <laughs> Get on it. So this next one is called When Charlie Goes Away, and it's credited to horror in pure form. I hate it when my brother Charlie has to go away. My parents constantly try to explain to me how sick he is, that I'm lucky for having a brain where all the chemicals flow properly to their destinations like undammed rivers. When I complain about how bored I am without a little brother to play with, they try to make me feel bad by pointing out that his boredom likely far surpasses mine considering his confine to a dark room in an institution. I always beg for them to give him one last chance. Of course, they did it first. Charlie has been back at home several times, each shorter in duration than the last. Every time, without fail, it all starts again, and the neighborhood cats with gouged out eyes showing up in his toy chest. 
My dad's razors found dropped into the baby slide in the park across the street. Mom's vitamins replaced by bits of dishwasher tablets. My parents are hesitant now, using last chances sparingly. They say his disorder makes him charming, makes it easy for him to fake normalcy, to trick the doctors who care for him into thinking he is ready for rehabilitation, that I will just have to put up with my boredom if it means staying safe from him. I hate it when Charlie has to go away. It makes me have to pretend to be good until he's back, or they'll know it was me. And then in this in this episode of the bad fucking seed, <laughs> Christ Almighty, I've said it before, spooky fam, and I will say it again: Jesus kickboxing Christ. I mean, honestly, they had me until the gouged out eyes and the cats. Is it weird that I was more upset about that than the razors on the baby slide? Is that weird? No. Okay. I mean, that's that's not cool either, but, like, I was like, oh, no, kitties, why? I think because animals in general you kind of deem, like, helpless in a sense. Right. Whereas, like, I mean, I don't know why I would think that babies going down a slide. Right. <laughs> or any down, less, yeah, right? or any less helpless, I guess. You'd think that the parent would be at the bottom and be like, oh, razor blades. Yeah, or like, hey, razors. Like, and how are you fixing these razor blades onto the slide where they would, like, hurt somebody? Like, are you just leaving them at the bottom? Like, I have logistical questions yes. <laughs> of how this is happening. Okay, like, the vitamins replaced by dishwasher tablets. All right. I mean, people were taking Tide Pods. Let's not, you know, that's not that far out of the realm of possibility. But, like, I'm like, how are you, like, taking, I was like, does your dad have, like, a straight razor? Is your dad Sweeney Todd? Like, what are you, how, if he has, like, big razors, like, and you're just, like, sticking the razor blades at the bottom, chances are pretty good the kid's feet are going to kick those off before anything gets cut. So, poor planning psychotic narrator of this story poor planning <laughs> i see what you were going for but fail i agree zero out of ten do not recommend i'm really sorry for those cats still right i was like the cats bum me out like man that just bums me the fuck out like I, i'm that person that can watch like true crime documentaries and you're probably the same way too where it's like i can watch like all the gory horror movies and all the gore like true crime the minute like it involves an animal i'm out i'm like i'm like i don't like this i'm like I can watch the whole like Ted Bundy confession series, but I don't want to watch Don't Fuck With Cats because I know that that has really disturbing like animals. Like that's that's where I apparently I draw the line, I guess. Yeah, I get because I want to watch it, but I also don't want to watch yeah, that I because no. I don't want to see the videos. I don't. I'm like, I want everything else aside from that. Yeah. Can I just hear the rest of the story? I don't want to see the actual video that was associated with it. Like, please and thanks and no. So I haven't watched Tiger King. Sorry about it. Hashtag. Sorry, not sorry. Tiger King's actually pretty good. It's a train wreck that you can't look away from. I hear that, but I'm like, I feel bad for the tigers though. And that's like my concern during the whole like thing. I was like, nobody seems to care that these tigers were like abused by this guy. Fed expired Walmart meat and apparently park worker arms. That is not (laughs) a thing, dude. To be fair, the tiger chose that one. (laughs) Oh, he chose that. (laughs) It was her body, his choice. I mean, yes. (laughs) I mean, for real though. So this next one is called, it's a little bit longer of a one, but it's called A Package Marked Return to Sender. It was posted by Manon Lysette. I couldn't find an author on it, but that's who posted it. My neighbor is one of those annoying wannabe YouTube personalities. Over the years, I've seen him cough out cinnamon, lay flat on the hood of his car as it slowly creeps down the driveway, and douse himself in lukewarm water, all the while screaming, epic win, epic fail, or... Fuck, epic maintenance of the status quo, for all I know. It can get tiring to watch him go about his shenanigans in the pursuit of viral fame. So when he knocked on my door the other day, told me he was going away for a few weeks, and asked that I get his mail, honestly, it was a relief. I can't explain the peace of mind I had knowing I didn't have to brace myself for any of his stupidity for a while. I was always afraid his stunts would end up bleeding over into my life. Things were pretty normal for the first couple days. He received a few bills, a bit of spam, and what I could only assume was a birthday card. Then one evening, I got home to find a cardboard box waiting on his front porch. In big red letters was written, return to sender. I'm no small fry, but I admit, I had trouble lifting the box on my own. It was really freaking heavy. Lugging it across the road to my house was even harder, and I quickly realized there was no way I was gonna drag it up the stairs and through my front door. I decided I'd leave his package in my garage. It wasn't like I kept my car in there. The garage door was a piece of shit that refused to open without a good thunk and a whack. It was less trouble just leaving the car in the driveway than it was to fight with the garage door every morning and night. 
In hindsight, I should have set the package down while I struggled to open the tricky door. But you know how it is when you've got a good grip on something. No point setting it down if you don't have to. It was as I kicked the door for a third time that I lost my grip on the package and it fell to the ground. I heard a light crack inside. Shit. I cursed. I hope I hadn't broken anything important. But I figured I just wouldn't tell my neighbor about it and let him assume that the break happened en route. Hands-free, I finally managed to get the garage door unstuck, and boy did it screech in protest as it rolled up and over me. I dragged the box the rest of the way, setting it in the corner for whenever my neighbor would come back to claim it. And then I forgot all about it, until a few days passed, that is. I'm not sure exactly how long it took for the smell to waft in from the crack under the garage to house door, but it came in slow progression. It was a sickly sweet odor similar to a skunk, and for the first few days after I smelled it, I genuinely assumed that's exactly what it was, roadkill that had left its mark on my house. It was only when I realized that the scent was growing more intense instead of fading that I went to go look for a source. That's when I opened the garage door, and that's when the odor knocked me back, holding my nose. The culprit wasn't hard to identify. The only change in my garage was the box in the corner. I remember thinking it must have been one of those meat-of-the-month subscription boxes. The meat must have gone rancid for being left out of the fridge for so long. How much meat could have been in there for the box to have been so large and so heavy? An entire freaking cow? I covered my nose as I approached the box, a pair of scissors in my hands. I probably wouldn't have needed them to open it as it had become soggy enough at the bottom to poke through with a finger. I wasn't about to poke my finger into spoiled meat juices. That soggy bottom was the reason I had to open the box in the first place. If I tried to drag it out whole, everything would just spill out onto the floor. I was going to have to dump the pieces of meat one garbage bag at a time, and taking them down to the dumpster, a process I wasn't looking forward to. My scissors tore through the tape along the top of the cardboard box. I thought the smell couldn't get any worse, but as I flipped the flaps open, I discovered a whole new gamut of stink. It was like opening a burning oven, but instead of a heat wave, I was met with waves of piss, sweat, shit, and putrefaction. It was so bad that I staggered back and I had to force down the puke begging to guzzle out of me. I don't think I could have handled that scent mingling with the horrors coming out of the box. I'm not ashamed to admit, I ran out the door for a breath of fresh air, but in the short time I'd spent in the garage, the smell had become so ingrained in the fabric of my clothes that it clung to me like a shadow. Nothing I tried could keep the smell out of my nostrils, not air fresheners, not a face mask, not three showers and a change of clothes. Every second that box lay open in my garage was another second the smell allowed a foothold into my home. I had to bite the bullet. I returned to the garage, the flaps of the box still open, as though inviting me to look. I was prepared, a clothespin pinning my nostrils shut, a garbage bag in one hand, the strongest cleaner I could find in the other, and long rubber gloves to keep my skin from having to touch whatever was inside. But as it turns out, I needed none of those things. I wouldn't have to touch or clean the contents of the box. I would only have to suffer the nightmares every night. You see, there was meat in that box, but it didn't come from a cow or pig. No, it was worse than that. It was my neighbor, dead. Still in one piece, but dead. I called the cops and naturally they took me in for interrogation. It's kind of hard not to suspect the man with a corpse in his garage after all. Thankfully, they soon realized I wasn't involved. My DNA might've been all over that box, The smell might have left a mark through my house, but there was one piece of irrefutable evidence in my neighbor's own hands that proved my innocence. A vlogging camera. They showed me the footage only once. I'm not sure if they were allowed to or if they felt so bad for me they figured it couldn't hurt. Either way, I saw it. My neighbor was sitting in the box outside of a shipping facility, laughing as he told the world how he was going to mail himself across state lines. He brought pee bottles, food, a pillow, a few flashlights. His friend, a guy I'd seen at his place several times to help with the stunts, closed the lid and presumably dropped him off for shipment. Throughout the next couple hours or days, I'm honestly not sure, my neighbor recorded a few short clips about his progress. I think I'm in a truck now. I can feel it moving. Must be in a warehouse. Pretty warm here. Still got plenty of food. That kind of stuff. And then on the last entry, the box toppled over. He broke his neck and that was it. The camera recorded until either the memory card got too full or the battery died. There's one thing I didn't tell the police after they showed me the video. One thing I heard in the footage that will haunt me to the day I die. Just after the tumble that broke his neck, I heard the familiar screeching sound of my garage door. There's a lot to unpack there. There's a lot to unpack in that one. (laughs) Like, one, 
these freaking YouTubers? Right. <laughs> Someone is just asking for a neck breaking, apparently. Moral of the story, do not pack yourself in a box or your neighbor will kill you by dropping you on your head and breaking your neck. <laughs> I don't understand why someone would think that that was a good idea. But like you said earlier, people be out there eating Tide Pods. This is a fact. So. People were doing like, well, all those like challenges were getting like just more and more ridiculous. It was like, wasn't one of them like to stick your hand on a hot stove challenge or something? Yeah. And I was like, what is happening in life right now? Like, what, what, what is people? <laughs> there was the snort a condom challenge and pull it out through oh, your, your mouth. Oh, There was the salt on your skin and then put an ice cube. Oh my God. Challenge. Yeah, that's No. Um, what was the other one? There were a bunch. There was really one dumb. that was like, light yourself on fire using hand sanitizer. Why are people still living? I don't understand this at all. At the fuck all. Darwin. Darwin, please. Darwin, please. Dar- Darwin, please. <laughs> Gooby, please. Darwin, please. Darwin, please. Darwin, please come get them. They're too dumb to live. <laughs> They're trying. They're trying it. And apparently nothing's taking. Whatever. That is nuts. Yeah, like, I read this through the story, and I was like, I kind of called it pretty early on, like, the moment, like, he's like, the box is really, really heavy. And I was like, there's a guy in that box. But I like how it was, how the story built and how it kind of played out, where it was like, it, it they made it kind of, made you kind of try to question it towards, till the end, until you realize that's what was in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, oh, you know, it's obviously meat of some sort uh-huh. from a human. I didn't expect it to be his neighbor. To be the neighbor, yeah. You're like, maybe his neighbor's a serial killer and, like, mailed a body to the house or something. And but it's like, I was like, yeah, when you hear, like, him, he drops the box and there's a crack. And I'm like, there's somebody in that box and he just killed them. <laughs> but I like the twist at the end, kind of the, where, you know, he's the only one that heard the garage door on the tape. And, like, the, the cops kind of chalked it up to, well, this idiot just mailed himself from a shipping facility and DHL fucking dropped him and broke his neck. So there's that. Sorry, DHL. You are truly the redheaded stepchild of the shipping game. And there's nothing I can do about that. <laughs> but it's like one of those where it's like, and I like that little twist at the end where he's like, I'm the only one that heard the garage door on the tape. So that was We interrupt your spooky listening with a deal that you just can't pass up. Right now, Audible is giving you a chance to support the show and get a free audiobook of your choice. Audible is the leading audiobook streaming service right now and has hundreds of thousands of titles to choose from. You know we love that spooky-ish around here, so of course we recommend Horror Stories by Jack Kilborn and J.A. Conrath, or, going back to our last episode, The Most Dangerous Animal of All by Gary Stewart. Get your free audiobook by visiting audibletrial.com slash thisspookyshow. You get something, and you get to support the show. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash thisspookyshow. And now, back to our own spooky stories. Fiction is terrifying. (laughs) Character development. Plot twists. (laughs) What a twist. (laughs) M. Night Shyamalan up in here. No. I hate that man. We will not go on a rant about him, but I hate him as well. We won't. We'll save that for another episode, but I do not care for his work. (laughs) That is all I will say about that. (laughs) So the next story is going to be He Stood Against My Window, which is credited to Sabbathook. I don't know why I looked up, but when I did, I saw him there. He stood against my window. His forehead rested against the glass, and his eyes were still and light and he smiled a red lipstick, cartoonish grin. And he just stood there, in the window. My wife was upstairs sleeping, my son was in his crib, and I couldn't move. I froze, and watched him, looking past me through the glass. Oh please, no. His smile never moved, but he put a hand up and slid it down the glass, watching me. With matted hair and yellow skin, face through the window. I couldn't do anything. I just stayed there, frozen, feet still in the bushes I was pruning, looking into my home. He stood against my window. Mm. An interesting twist in that one. It was like, you know, you're thinking that the guy is outside and it's the narrator is actually outside. Mm -hmm. 
pruning his bushes while his family is about to be murdered. Well, yeah, while his family is about to be murdered by some lipstick wearing madman. <laughs> <laughs> by Buffalo Bill, apparently. <laughs> Would you fuck me? I'd fuck me. I'd fuck me so hard. I know that movie. I've seen that one. Wait, is she a great big fat person? She's a larger woman, yes, sir. <laughs> but yeah, I. That's a good one. You I had like some pruning shears. Go inside. Yeah, I'm like, dude, you have pruning shears. And honestly, it, here's the here's the gig on this one. I bet this psychotic, like this guy's psychotic, right? But I bet this psycho motherfucker is not expecting you to shell to yell, yeet, and throw yourself through the window at him. Like, like a fucking torpedo. Oh, with straight the up. Like straight up, just with the shears. Hold the shears above your head and go, yeet! And then just through the window. Like, this fucker's probably not expecting it. He's probably like, oh, damn, this guy's crazier than I am. I'm getting out of this fucking house. You gotta out crazy the crazy sometimes. I'm just saying. Yeah. It's the best way. You never want to have a fight with a naked man. This is true. Nobody wants to fight a naked dude. I had a friend who had that theory that he, if he ever got an altercation of any kind, his immediate reaction would be to just to start undressing. Like, while yelling at the person still, like, yo, motherfucker, you wanna go? Do you wanna go? Do you wanna go? And he's, like, taking his shirt off, and he's, like, taking his pants off, and I'm like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? (laughs) Was it Sam? It was Sam. It was Sam. Spooky Nation, be more like Sam. Be, be Sam. Spooky Nation. I mean, you can't, because there's only one Sam, but still. (laughs) Be like Sam. (laughs) Not be like Mike, be like Sam. True facts. Because Mike, Mike-a-phobia. Ah! That was a throwback to the second episode. (laughs) So the next one we have on our slate of spooky stories is a little bit of a longer one. Sorry, you're going to have to listen to me talk for a little bit. This one's called Please Stay Awake, and it is by J.T. Grogan. Dark, cold, and eerie. Those are the only words I can come up with to describe the house in which I had lived with my family for the majority of my life. Mostly dark, blistering cold during the winter, and always eerie. Sometimes there would be strange noises coming from the cellar, too. It'd often give me creeps, though I would never admit that to my mother. I figured I was too old to let some silly noises scare me anyway. I'd been trying to act like the man of the house ever since my dad left when I was seven. I'd always hoped that I would never turn out like my father, whom I hated with a burning passion. As far as he goes, I suppose I'd better just leave it at that. I lived in the house with my mother, Linda, and my uncle, Kevin, on a vast piece of land in Steinan, Indiana. Steinan was a tiny piece of shit in the middle of nowhere. Nobody liked living there. I didn't have any friends because I was homeschooled, and I had never even seen another kid my age in Steinan, since we almost never left the house unless my mom had to go into town to buy groceries. However, I was always very close to Uncle Kevin. When I was little, he would tell me ghost stories right before bed, which my mother hated. Stop it, Kev. You're going to give him nightmares, she would snap. Oh, I did get nightmares. Indeed. And sometimes it seemed as though the nightmares refused to end. They crept into the back of my mind like a spider crafting its web. The story he told most often was one about a monster with a contorted body and black eyes. According to the quote-unquote legend, as Uncle Kevin called it, even though I knew he made it up himself, the monster would come into your room if you were awake past your bedtime and hide in your closet watching you the whole night. Of course, this was just a silly little tale that Kevin would tell me so I wouldn't stay up late. Even so, I can't tell you how many times that horrible creature popped into my head over the years. On this particular night, I decided to go to bed early in an attempt to sleep off a pounding headache. I lay down on my icy bed and sank underneath the covers, hiding my face from whatever may have been lurking inside of my head. After setting my glasses down on the nightstand beside the bed, I reached over and flipped the light off. The darkness made me feel alive in a very strange way almost as though I was mesmerized by the nothingness. As I looked around the room, seeing almost nothing but the pitch black darkness around me, I felt entranced, as if something was forcing me to look. Of course, there was nothing to look at, at least not with the eyes. This was something that you could only witness within the deepest corridors of your mind. The part of your mind that you always dread visiting and can never seem to return from. Out of nowhere, I began to hear scratches upon the window above my bed. My eyes immediately burst open, and I felt like I was unable to close them again. What the fuck was that? I asked myself. Nothing. Of course, it was nothing. It couldn't have been anything, right? Right. Just my mind playing tricks on me in the dark. No big deal. 
But in a moment of childish curiosity, I decided to peer out the window, just to make sure I was hearing nothing more than a tree branch brushing up against the glass. But then it hit me like a bag of bricks. There is no tree next to my window. Still, I decided it would be better to sleep it off and think more about it in the morning. It was probably all in my head. It had to be. I found it unusually difficult to fall asleep that night, as if something or somebody was trying to keep me up. I woke up the next morning with that sound still locked in my brain. It had to have been coming from somewhere, but where? Shit, I had no idea. But then I remembered. The cellar. I built up as much courage as I could muster and slowly crept down into the abyss. Jesus, I hadn't been down there in a year, maybe longer. I had almost forgotten what it looked like. Nothing but clouds of cobwebs and stacked cardboard boxes shoved against the walls. I rustled through a couple of boxes until I had stumbled on a picture I'd drawn when I was a child. It was a sketch of a grotesque creature. Definitely wasn't human. The thing barely had a face, just dark black eyes and no mouth. Its body was tall and thin and was contorted into a shape that I had never even seen before. The more I looked at the drawing, the more I was reminded of that story my uncle used to tell me. It appeared to be raining above the creature and toward the bottom of the paper, I had scribbled, please stay awake giant letters. I didn't know what the hell that was supposed to mean, but I folded up the paper and stuffed it in my pocket. I quickly made my way up the staircase into the kitchen and went about my day as usual, keeping that drawing in mind, trying to remember what it meant and why I had drawn it in the first place. I looked outside and noticed that it had begun to rain. I didn't want to think about the creature any longer, so I walked into my dimly lit room and plopped onto my bed. I fell asleep before I even knew it. When I awoke, it was exactly 3 a.m. This night was colder and darker than usual. The farm was soaked with rain from earlier in the evening. The moon was full and radiant. It almost didn't look real. For an instant, I glanced out of my bedroom window, and I could swear I saw something walking quickly through the yard. When it spotted me, it slunk behind a tree as if it were trying to hide from me. It looked exactly like what I had drawn when I was a child. I ran into Uncle Kevin's room and began shaking him awake. Kevin! Kevin! He rubbed the room out of his eyes. What's up, bud? It's late, he asked, bewildered at my excitement. I looked him in his bloodshot eyes and softly said, I saw someone in the yard. Kevin looked at me with hesitation. No, you probably just saw an animal. Go back to bed. I know what I saw. This was no animal, or at least not one that I had ever seen, not even in my worst fucking nightmares. I knew I couldn't tell him exactly what I had seen because he would never believe me. No, Kevin, it wasn't an animal, please. It was a man. I mean, I think, look, please just go out and check. Uncle Kevin leapt up and grabbed his shotgun from under the bed. All right, come on, show me where he is. Let's not try to wake your mom. I'll scare the fucker off. We went outside and I pointed to the tree. I whispered to Kevin, I saw him go behind that tree. My uncle bravely walked up to the tree and peered around it. Nothing. He searched the entire farm for well over half an hour, but he never found anyone or anything. Let's go back in, bud. There's no one out here. Keep the doors locked tonight. He was wrong. I knew there was something out there crawled into bed and threw the covers over my face. I could hear the blistering wind coming from outside. It pierced my ears with a whistle that I thought only dogs could detect. Suddenly, I heard a tapping sound upon my window. The sound grew louder with each tap. I tightened the blankets around my body. The taps slowly turned into knocks. Louder and faster the knocks became. The knocks turned into bangs. I thought the glass was going to break. Then out of nowhere, it stopped. No more taps. No more knocks, no more bangs, no more wind. I was relieved. Suddenly, I heard a low, chilling voice in my ear. Please stay away. It couldn't be. No, it couldn't be. I ran into the hallway, ready to make my way to my mother's room when I saw it. Whatever it was, I, I still don't know. It was holding Kevin's lifeless, mangled body in its arms. Carved deeply into my uncle's torso were the words... Please stay awake. I tried to let out a scream, but only silence filled the dead air. I sprinted through the door of my mother's bedroom and saw her body lying in the middle of the floor. She was covered in blood and her left arm had been ripped straight out of its socket. Written next to her in her own blood were the words, Please stay awake. I began to sob and when I turned around, the creature was gone. I don't know where the hell it went and I'm not sure I want to. I closed my eyes as tightly as I could and let out the loudest scream I could muster. I called the police and lay down on the cold, now blood-soaked floor, waiting for them to arrive. It felt like hours. Finally, the police showed up to find me in the fetal position next to my mother's corpse. I told them everything I saw. I showed them my drawing. I told them about the taps, the knocks, the bangs. I told them what I'd seen outside. 
But of course, they wouldn't hear a word of it. Why would they? All they could see was a lonely kid hovering over his dead mother, blood covering my clothes almost as much as it covered the floor. It's cold in this cell. It's dark and lonely. The silence is the only saving grace. Constant, peaceful silence. Tonight, it's raining outside. It's colder, darker, and wetter than ever. But unfortunately, I must stop writing now. I just heard a tap on the window. <laughs> You're welcome for the drama. I am so confused. No, that one's like a, tw- a definitely twisty, turny one for sure. Like, so did he make it up? Right, is like, was crazy? exactly, is he crazy? Did he kill them? Like, did he invent this monster because he, you know, like, was this something that was invented out of his imagination because his uncle kept telling him that story? So, like, his mind actually created a thing mm-hmm. that did this? Like, it's a, it's a lot. There's a lot of possibilities there. The moment you whispered, please stay awake. I'm like, no! <laughs> Gotta go! <laughs> Bye! We, we can make ringtones of that, by the way, y'all, if you want one. If you want a text tone of me saying, please stay awake in a creepy voice, let us know, and we will make that as a text or ringtone. We can also make the other, the teeth one, too. If you liked teeth in the last episode that we did. Which is episode six. Get there if you haven't listened to it. The creepy tooth fairy voice that I did. <laughs> we can do that one, too. I can't do voices, but if you want, like, Sister Spaghetti as a ringtone, I can do that. Yes. <laughs> True facts. So this one is called The Licked Hand. It doesn't have an author. A young girl named Lisa often had to spend time alone at home at night as her parents worked late. They bought her a dog to keep her company and to protect her. One night, Lisa was awakened by a dripping sound. She got up and went to the kitchen to make sure that the tap was off. As she was getting back to the bed, she stuck her hand under the bed and the dog licked it. The dripping sound continued, so she went to the bathroom and made sure the tap was turned off there too. She went back to her bedroom and stuck her hand under the bed and the dog licked it again. But the dripping sound continued, so she went outside and turned off all the faucets out there. She came back to bed, stuck her hand under it, and the dog licked it again. The dripping continued. Drip. Drip. This time, she listened and located the source of the dripping. It was coming from her closet. She opened the closet door and there found her poor dog hanging upside down with its neck cut. Written on the inside of the closet door was humans can like you. Yes. There's a that, re- that one reminds me, it's very similar to another story that's kind of like that campfire sort of story where the girl comes home and it's, a, it's in a college dorm and they have a dog. It's like her and her roommate have a dog in the dorm or it's an apartment or some, you know, something like that. And the lights aren't on and she goes into, com- like she comes in late from a party or something. She comes inside and she assumes her roommate is asleep. The dog jumps up on her. She feels like you know, pause and she kind of shoes the dog away and she's like tired and and goes to sleep. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and wakes up the next day. And in the light of day sees that her roommate has been brutally murdered and there's blood everywhere in the apartment. And she looks down because she didn't even change her clothes. She just like flops into bed and she looks down, sees fingerprints like going down her legs, like, like hands had been there and then there's like something written on the wall in blood that says you know humans can do that too or something like that it was like or or it says no it says aren't you glad you didn't turn on the light yeah yeah i'm glad i'm glad so that that story reminds me of that and yet again with the killing the animals why 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 for shock value yeah it it really because you could have still done the same thing but not killed the dog right you could have just killed a roommate Mm. (laughs) whatever yeah Kill the parents, save the dog. Kill the parents, save the dog. Take the gun. What was it? Leave the gun, take the cannoli. <laughs> Kill the parents, save the dog. Where it's like that website, Save the Cat, goes to the movies where it's like they rate like things on like if animals don't like die and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think that's how it works. But I was like, that's a good thing to, you know, it's an interesting metric. Yeah. I just love this is our new catchphrase. Yes. <laughs> Kill the parents, save the, save the dog. <laughs> 
nobody will complain. Again, it's like one of those where it's like, oh, the dog. Eh, the parents were murdered. That sucks. <laughs> like, what's that? Her whole family was murdered. Yeah, that sucks. Not the puppy, no! <laughs> the dog was okay, though, right? Right, the dog survived, right, guys? I was like, when I watched I Am Legend, and he has to kill his dog. No. No. Like, I don't care how many, like, zombies got killed in that movie. No. Like, the minute, like, the dog scene, I was just bawling. I was yeah. bawling like an idiot. That was why I didn't watch that movie. Yeah, it was sad. I can't even bring myself to rewatch like, Homeward Bound and stuff. Oh, right? <laughs> like, that's Fuck heartbreaking that. enough. Right? Like, I was like, no, this is sad. Why? So I was like, I don't want to watch Marley and Me or anything like that. I'm like, I know how this is going to end. Like, you know how movies with pets generally end. The pet dies at the end. And I'm like, no, I'm okay. I'm cool, yo. Been through that enough times in real life. Don't need to watch it on screen. Agreed. So the next one we have is... You got another short one. You got another shorty one. I do. Would you like to hear it? Yes, I would. Very much so. So this one's called Strange Burial. Again, doesn't have an author listed. My great-great-grandmother, ill for quite some time, finally passed away after lying in a coma for several days. My great-great-grandfather was devastated beyond belief, as she was his one true love, and they'd been married for over 50 years. They were married so long it seemed as if they knew each other's innermost thoughts. After the doctor pronounced her dead, my great-great-grandfather insisted that she was still alive. They had to pry him away from his wife's body so that they could ready her for burial. Back in those days, they had backyard burial plots and did not drain the body of its fluids. They simply prepared a proper coffin and buried the body in its coffin in its permanent resting place. Throughout this process, my great-great-grandfather protested so fiercely that he had to be sedated and put to bed. Finally, his wife was buried. That night, he woke to a horrific vision of his wife hysterically trying to scratch her way out of the coffin. He phoned the doctor immediately and begged to have his wife's body exhumed. The doctor refused, but my great-great-grandfather had this nightmare every night for a week, each time frantically begging to have his wife removed from the grave. Finally, the doctor gave in, and together with local authorities, exhumed the body. The coffin was pried open, and to everyone's horror and amazement, my great-grandmother's nails were bent back, and there were bloody scratch marks on the inside of the coffin. So a couple questions. One, does this man not own a shovel? (laughs) This is fair. Couldn't you dig up your own wife's body? Yeah, I was like, if you had this nightmare the first night because you were so freaked out that she was still alive, which, I mean, that to be fair, that did happen a lot. This sounds like it's, you know, great-great-grandparents, so this is probably like 1800s, you know, or prior. That did happen quite a bit. So often that they would put bells that led down into to graves so people, if they were prematurely buried and they were still alive, they could ring the bell and somebody could come get their ass. Ding, 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 yeah, ding, 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 please ding, ding. get me out of here before I suffocate. Like, so that was a, a common theme that happened a lot of times in burials back then. So totally get that. But I'm like, if you had this nightmare the first night and you were so convinced that your wife was still alive, why didn't you just go dig her up yourself, dude? <laughs> it's, it's a very good point. Like, obviously it was like they buried her like somewhere near the house. So it's what he could just go go to his backyard and just be like. I'm going to dig this bitch up because she's probably not dead. (laughs) And that's how it went. Like, he had to call the doctor to dig. Like, the doctor, can you imagine that phone call, though? Like, the doctor was probably like, bitch, what the fuck do I look like? Do I look like a gardener, too? Like, no. Like, why are you calling me to dig her up? Like, you, you can't do that? Like, or call the mortician or call somebody else? I mean. Why would you call the doctor to come get her? Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know what say the doctor would have in any of that. A policeman, maybe. Yeah, like, police, against the law. sheriff. And even then, it's like, if it's on your own property, oh, well, like, who's, you know, somebody calls the cops on you. It's like, whatever. I was digging for gold. I was I digging for gold. And I happened to find her dead body. Oh, wait, look, she's not really dead. I was right. Fuck off. Like, I don't, yeah, I was like, I don't, there's, there's, I get the whole, like, it's a very campfire story. It's very, like, the fear of being buried alive. Yeah. Um, and I get that. Like, you know, anyone with claustrophobia can can attest to that one where it's like, come in a small place, no. no. <laughs> um, and like, you know, suffocating and stuff like that. But again, there's some loopholes in 
this story that I'm like, did he not have a shovel? <laughs> Did you know Why were you calling was... everybody else, like, to come dig her up? Like, And really, do you not have hands, sir? Yeah, and, like, worst case, like, if you don't have a spade or a shovel or, like, which I find hard to believe if this was the 1800s and this was the era that mm-hmm. people did get buried alive. Most people lived on farms and, like, did hard labor and shit. So I really have a hard time believing this man did not have some sort of tools that he could have used. And, yeah, dude. Got hands. He's got hands, too, so... They're your first shovels. Yeah, he deserved his wife to die, I guess. But I mean, because this is that was just lazy. That was cutting corners, and you just you cost that woman her life, sir. That's on you. To be fair, too, like now that on the other side, maybe he is old, and maybe he because they were old, I guess. When yeah, but still, like, dude, like, you have a shovel. You have hands. I don't know. I don't. I don't feel like he gets off easy on this one. No, no, I agree. He had flush shovels. He couldn't. Yeah, flush shovels, flush scoops. You know, scoops. flush scoops. He's got scoopers. <laughs> He's got scoopies. He's got scoopies and grabbies and squeezies. <laughs> That's what we call hands here. Now on sale. Now on sale, grabbies and squeezies. <laughs> so I believe we have one final story oh, that do. is actually pretty special because it's written. By you. It is by me, bitches. So get into it. This one, um, since we don't do a... I've noticed that there was kind of a dearth of sci-fi in some of these stories. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're going to do a sci-fi story. A little different. Sci-fi horror. Right. So this one's called Five Words. And as Jade said, it is by yours truly. So buckle up. Let's get into it. The time is 0603 minutes, April 3rd, 2020, 3rd rotation, SS Helix Voyage Day, 196. Good morning, Kyle. My eyes fluttered open at the alarm clock's stoic pronouncement, but honestly, this was how every morning started for the past 195 mornings, so I should be considerably less grouchy. Somehow, 6 in the morning still sucks, though, even in space. I pulled myself from my bunk and stretched lazily, putting on a clean jumpsuit before heading out into the hallway towards the ship's galley. The usual calm atmosphere on board the Helix was buzzing with energy. People bustled here and there, getting the last inspections and preparations made for our landing. I must have looked a bit sleep hungover as I fumbled for a pot of coffee grounds and popped it into the machine. Well, well, looks like Sleeping Beauty has finally decided to join us. A familiar and sarcastic tone came from behind my shoulder. I sighed and took a long sip of coffee before choosing the right words to respond. Good morning to you too, Lieutenant Higgins, I turned around, folding my arms over my chest, still holding my mug as my eyes fell on the younger, eager, clean-cut engineer. He gave me a good-natured chuckle and waved at me dismissively. Just giving you a hard time, Captain, that's all. Thought you could use some levity today. After all, the world will be watching. I almost rolled my eyes at his chipper tone. I hated to admit that moments after waking, the gravity of this particular day had slowly sunk in and was now sitting heavy somewhere in the pit of my gut like a cold stone. We had been traveling almost 200 days now, running countless simulations and preparing for this day, not to mention the months and months of screening and training that went into place before even stepping foot on the helix. Still, no amount of simulations and exercises could prepare you for the real thing, for a reality that five of us would face in a matter of hours or for what awaited us when we got there. A mixed bag of excitement and terror on my part, and I challenge any of the others to say any different. Higgins gave a sheepish smile. After all, in a few hours, you'll be the first man on Mars, I interrupted. Yeah, I know. I took another sip of coffee and smirked. I'd be lying if I didn't say I almost hate the title already. There's five of us total. One person shouldn't get all the accolades, I sighed. No, you're right, but you know how the media plays things, Higgins shrugged and glanced behind him as several members of the bridge crew suddenly buzzed by in the background. History has a funny way of forgetting. He trailed off, distracted by a sudden announcement made over the ship's PA system. Good morning, crew of the USS Helix. The familiar drone of the ship's AI came over, clean and mechanically precise. We have begun the approach of Mars. Descent in 20 minutes. Commence preparations for landing procedure. Godspeed. Higgins chuckled and grabbed a bottle of juice from the fridge. Looks like history is impatient this morning, I smirked. It could at least let me finish my coffee. You know what they say, sir. Time waits for no man. Higgins nodded, taking a swig of juice before saluting me awkwardly. Back to work. Higgins? Yes, sir? Make sure we don't die down there. 
the smirk plastered on my face hoped to conceal the real fear that lay gnawing within. I returned the salute, as you were, Lieutenant. Higgins smiled brightly, almost brightly enough to eclipse the nervousness I was feeling. You're in luck then, sir. Making sure people don't die is my specialty. Good luck down there, Captain. We'll be watching. With that, he turned and exited the galley, quickly returning to the bridge to ensure that our descent was smooth and that the landing procedure was following all parameters. I finished off the last of my coffee, which didn't help my squirming guts. I contemplated another cup, but the AI breaking in over the PA system interrupted. Captain Adams, please report to the launch bay. It looked like the quivering guts and nerves would have to wait. I set the empty cup aside and headed for the bay where the landing craft was undergoing final inspections. A maintenance crew buzzed around the craft like bees around a blooming flower, assuring every panel was checked, every screw was tight, and every seal was intact. After the disaster that claimed the SS Sirius, every craft was triple inspected to prevent such tragedy from happening again. Still, there was always room for human error. I watched a moment as they skittered around the craft before turning to the remainder of the crew, who was suiting up. There were five of us total. I was leading the mission, so I'd be first out onto the surface of the navigation vehicle. First man on Mars. Then there was our navigator, Lieutenant Brian Fields, the second man on Mars. He was looking a little green as the helmet was locked onto his suit and the seal inspected. He gave a half smile and a thumbs up, though. Brian was like that, always a smile no matter how shitty things got. Next in line, getting suited up was our resident geologist, Dr. Marta Wenner, the first woman on Mars. Seemed that there were going to be a lot of firsts today. Next in line, ensuring the tanks on his exosuit were properly gauged, was noted and controversial astrophysicist Dr. Nur Johar. His inclusion on the mission was brought into question by the press when it had been discovered that a good portion of his graduate thesis on the properties and existence of dark energy had been plagiarized from another work. Regardless, his other theories and work seemed solid. Lastly, there was one of our engineers, Sergeant Tanya Holcomb. She was fresh out of academy, but the best gadget jockey I'd ever seen. She graduated MIT at 17 years old, a real prodigy. She was fiddling with her gloves and looked like she wanted to throw up. Then there was me, Captain Kyle Adams, pilot and mission specialist. I had a dozen or more spacewalks and missions under my belt, including the famed Gemini X mission that had led the framework for the colonization of the moon. Space was in my blood, and there was nothing I loved more than looking back at Earth from the great vastness of it all. And in the silent void, I would think in awe about the absolute peace around me. This time felt different though, somehow. And even as they started inspections and getting me in my suit, something uneasy still nagged at me. This was the furthest from Earth I had ever been. If something went wrong out here, well, that was it. There was no chance of rescue. Captain, are you ready? One of the crew nodded to me, speaking through the comms in our locked helmets. I gave a thumbs up and clicked the comm on my chest. Let's light it up. One by one, we filed into the small landing craft like clowns in a tiny car. Lieutenant Fields and Sergeant Holcomb began primary checks of the systems to ensure that the craft was ready for launch. Green lights flicked to life on the panels as the switches were flipped and the knobs turned. All was going well so far, according to plan. My nerves settled down a little as I clicked the comm open again, this time to the bridge. Serious bridge. Landing craft's effort is green. We are go for launch. Roger that, Zephyr. Sirius is in final descent into orbit around Mars. Approaching the landing site, we launch in 10, 9, 8, 7. Higgins responded. As each number ticked away closer to zero, I could almost hear every silent prayer lifted to every deity imaginable fill the air inside of our landing craft. The air suddenly heavy with hope and terror in equal portions. It was time to let instinct take over. Two. A loud hiss came from behind the vessel as the launch bay airlock was opened. One, a final click from the panel as my hands tightened on the throttle controls. Launch. Before the words even registered, I had engaged the engines and pulled back on the yoke, slowly guiding our landing craft out of the hangar bay, ferrying us to a safe enough distance from the Sirius before our umbilical disengaged and we were released into free orbit. The blood red surface below us, awaiting our arrival. Stabilizers engaged, umbilical unlocked. She's all yours, Captain. Lieutenant Field's voice came over the comm a steady sound that accompanied the constant hum of the ion engines. It was all gut from here, the effortless and beautiful waltz that occurred between machine and the void. The Zephyr glided into orbit and then began the planned controlled descent towards the surface. The high-density heat shields worked flawlessly. A retropropulsion system engaged as planned to slow our descent as we fell like stardust from the red Martian skies and at long last made contact with the arid ground. An overall flawless entry. Now for the part that all human history up to this point had waited for. The red gravel crunched beneath my boot. 
back on Earth, cheers were going up at headquarters, and no doubt across the world as the first historic step was seen by billions. But up here, there was silence. Deathly still, contemplative silence. We had landed just on the northern side of the Gale Crater. It was where Curiosity had landed less than 10 years ago. And now, here we were. We had about 20 minutes of surface time before we had to return to the landing vessel and the Sirius, so the party separated a bit, each exploring the environment around, taking samples, or simply standing in awe of our human achievement. I admit I lost myself in the ladder when suddenly Sergeant Holcomb's tiny voice came over the calm. It was obvious from her tone that she was shaken. Sir, cave just northeast, you, you have to come see this. The wonder of possibility at her discovery washed over us all equally, as individual tasks were abandoned for the greater at hand. We converged on the location of the cave and entered. It was low enough for the taller of us to have to duck down, but it widened the further back it went, leaving enough room for us all to enter. It extended to about six feet back from the surface. The only light that pooled in the cavern came from the inner lamination of our helmets. Just as dark and foreboding as any cave you'd find on Earth, with one exception. Lieutenant Holcomb was not standing in a cave on Earth. A shaking beam of light from a flashlight that illuminated bony protrusions of a being's remains and a stone wall. A full intact skeleton, preserved from the elements, huddled on its side in almost a fetal position. An astonishing discovery it would have been, too, if the horror of it hadn't seized us all into standing frozen, staring. Those, those are human remains. Dr. Wenner spoke, her voice thin with fear. There's something etched on that wall, Lieutenant Field said. The beam of light shifted up from the remains to the markings on the stone wall. It was then that I heard Dr. Johar let out a strangled scream. Five words were carved roughly into the surface of the stone. Five words that hit me like a speeding train. Captain Kyle Adams was here. Dun, dun, dun! Now, is this a doppelganger situation? It kind of, I kind of leave it open for the reader to determine if this was a, if was this, now is the Captain Kyle Adams with them, is that an alien? Is this a copy? Is the, you know, what's happened? Has, was he replaced on one of his spacewalks? Mm-hmm. Is this, was this, was the dead person really him? Is the other one really him? Like, it's kind of left open to interpretation. Interesting. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to read that one again because they're, my mind went to so many different places, and I'm just like, hmm. Like, hmm, what could it be? Ghosts yeah. of Mars, indeed. So it's like, obviously, like, there are human remains. Like, I think I wrote that, actually, it was from a story prompt mm-hmm. that I saw, I think, on, I forget where, I, on Reddit or something. But it was, like, a writing prompt, and it was, like, you there. there's human remains found in a cave on Mars, and, and the words that are carved into the wall are or there's five words on the wall, what are they? So that was the prompt that sparked this story. Gotcha. Well, this is very cool. Thank you. You're welcome. A little little bit of an alien kind of the abyss sort of sci-fi horror twist for you. Mm -hmm. In space, no one can hear you die or carve things into a wall, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) I can just imagine if it was on Earth, how loud it (laughs) (laughs) The castle... have died while carving it <laughs> you wouldn't carve out ah okay just say it <laughs> but that's what it says the castle <laughs> that was a monty python quote i recognize that one well unfortunately that's all the time we have for this week's spooky nation Please check out our latest paranormal investigation escapades in Rhyolite, Nevada on our YouTube channel if you haven't already. True facts. Yes. It was fun. We went to Rhyolite, we did some EVP recordings, we did some uh, spirit box talking, and may have went into an abandoned mine. We may have. (laughs) We did. We did. (laughs) (laughs) We did. Spoiler alert, we did. So you can find that video over on our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash thisspookyshow. Yes, it is. Like and subscribe and let us know what you think. 
Also make sure you hit that bell icon um, because we are going to be using our YouTube channel more often. So it'll let you know when we post a new video or when we go live. True facts. You'll get notification whenever any of those things happen. Yes. We're eager to start showing you more investigations as time allows and we'll hope to do more very soon. So please follow us on all social media if you don't already at This Spooky Show on all platforms. You can reach out to us as well and share your favorite stories. And who knows, maybe we'll include them on a live stream video of us reading more scary stories to keep you guys entertained during quarantine. I think that's yeah. a good idea. Like, have, If you guys have stories that you like and want to submit to have us read and we do like a giant like YouTube watch party or like a live stream where we just read scary stories like submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society. Like, <laughs> like, are you afraid of the dark style? Get on it, Spooky Nation. Send us your stories. <laughs> Reach out to us on Instagram, on uh, through our email, which is thespookyshow at gmail.com. You can reach out to us through our website. There's a contact form. We're pretty active in responding. So if you message us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, however, we will see it. So if there's a story you want us to read, we will, we will get on it and we'll read it and we'll have a good time. Have some drinks and some spooky times. Yes. So the booze. The booze. I'm here for the booze. <laughs> <laughs> that was awful. Anyways, <laughs> join us next week when we jump back into the glitz, glamour, and tragic deaths of Tinseltown in episode 24. Fame can be murder, celebrity deaths. So until then, stay, stay spooky, friends. friends.